acknowledge that we are in the presence of an almighty God. So I just want you to close your eyes, to not focus on anything else around you, but just for a moment, understand that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there. Like the king of the universe is in our midst. And so we just need to be humbled, but not in false humility, to know that in all that I am, every, all of my flaws, everything that I think, everything that I do, whatever state my life is in right now, this morning, that because of Jesus, I can be in the presence of Almighty King of the universe. I mean, that is amazing. Because I know my own heart, I know my flaws, and yet this morning I get to behold my King. That Jesus was born from small things. He was born in a dirty manger. Nothing about his life was kingly from a human standpoint. And yet he reigns as king in heaven over the entire universe right now. And so however you are here this morning, God wants to meet you here. That he promises that his presence is here. And when his presence is here, and the Holy Spirit wants to work, the Holy Spirit wants to heal, the Holy Spirit wants to set free in the name of Jesus. So let's pray together and beg our God for that. God, in the presence of Almighty, God, in, in the presence of majesty, we are humbled. But we are humbled because through Jesus, you see fit to allow us to be in your presence. God, through Jesus, there is freedom. Through Jesus, there is no guilt, there is no shame. God, we can get up, we can stand, and we can stand firm in the name of Jesus that sets us free from everything that has to do with sin, from everything that has to do with death. God, that we live. Jesus gave his own life so that we could live, truly live. So God, I pray for every heart in this room. I pray in the name of Jesus and the blood that covers us against any lies that anyone is believing here this morning. Father, against lies of insecurity, against lies of fear, against lies of inadequacy. Father, that we find our identity in the name of Jesus and that is true freedom. So in these moments that we just sit in your presence, Father, I pray that Jesus would set people free this morning whether they have come to salvation in you already, Lord, or whether they still need to come to you for salvation to be saved, that you would set us free. We so desire Jesus to come and see him face to face and truly behold our King. But God, in your presence this morning, I just pray that we would know the reality of where we sit and our identity in you. So fight for us, because Satan has no right to our hearts, because we belong to Jesus. We love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So, I really, truly do not enjoy the cold. Um, Heather told me I should take a picture of this this morning, but I went out and shoveled, and I felt fine until I came back in, and the whole right side of my face uh, was started to swell. And I, seriously, I went in uh, to the bathroom and Judah was in there with me. And I said, Judah, look at my face. And he goes, hey, Dad, I can do that too. Like that. Just, that's just proof. I mean, you can ask him. There was like creases in my face because it was just like swollen, right? And so the other night, we, uh, our kids, we made a, I don't know, this is a, it's a good promise because ice cream is awesome. Um, but it's a terrible promise because we're in the middle of winter right now. So we promised our kids that if they ever get uh, Student of the Week, they do this thing at their school where they get Student of the Week if they're good, um, then we promised them ice cream. Like, not when it's opportune for us, but that night you will get ice cream. And so this was Friday night, 
next to this morning right now. That was like the coldest um, we have experienced yet this year, and Judah got student of the month. So I'm like extremely happy for him that he was a good boy, and he got student of the week. Um, but then we had to live out that promise, and so we went to Dairy Queen, and we were the only fools at Dairy Queen in Des Moines that night. And the, the lady, after we, uh, after we finished, it, there was a sign on the door that said, this closes at 7 o'clock. But she well knew, nobody else is coming in here. So she just stood there very uh, patiently with us, and as soon as we walked out at 6.48, I remember looking at the clock because I was like, I'm pretty sure it's not 7 yet. We walked out 6.48, lights off, doors closed. She's like, there's no other crazy people in Des Moines tonight, so I'm done. I'm leaving. So that was my, uh, my weekend, and so far, um, my disease is uh, not being friendly to me, um, but I'm good for right now. I want you, everybody to stand up real quick. Just real quick, stand back up. And I want you to turn to the person next to you, and if there's nobody next to you, you can just say this out loud. Um, but I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is plan A. Say that again. Jesus is plan A. Now to the, to the person on the other side of you that sh- you chose second uh, for whatever reason, I want you to say, there is no plan B. Okay, let's all say that again. Jesus is plan A. There is no plan B. One more time, we got to drill it in. Jesus is plan A. There is no plan B. You guys are awesome. Good job. Have a seat. Good job. In God's sovereignty and in his perfect plan, the gospel, Jesus dying for us, that's always been plan A. It wasn't like God was up in heaven with the Holy Spirit and Jesus, his son, Um, saying like, hey, we're going to create man in our image, then we're going to throw him out there, have him do their best, and if they sin, then we'll just plan from there. That's not what happened. It has always been God's sovereign, almighty plan to redeem us, to make us right, to buy us back into rightness with himself through Jesus' death on the cross. The awesome thing is, also part of plan A, is that Jesus would reign forever as our king. Like, that's amazing to me. We've already prayed about this this morning. But right now, we sit in the presence of a king. This is not an earthly king right now. Someday, praise God, Jesus is coming back. Like, I don't know if you know that. Jesus is coming back. And not just coming back to take us to be with himself, for those who believe in him, but to reign as an earthly king. Like, that's awesome. No matter what you feel about having a president, no matter what you feel about a godly or ungodly president, that doesn't matter because Jesus is our king. And we know that our hope lies in the future that Jesus will reign as king on earth. But guess what? Our hope lies with right now, too. Because no matter who our earthly rulers are, that God tells us we should actually pray for them, right? No matter how hard that is, we should pray, we should pray, we should pray, like crazy. But we know that regardless of what we see happen on earth, I can live without fear because I serve the true king of the universe. Amen? I'm going to say it again. I serve the true king of the universe. Amen? That's awesome. I love that. Get this. A week before... Jesus was crucified. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey, and there was people celebrating, yelling at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and taking off their jackets, laying palm branches down on the ground. That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday a week before Easter. Those things are both things to celebrate, right? But in in between Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, and Easter, when he rises from the dead, He dies, and for a moment, Satan thinks that he won, right? For a moment, Satan thinks that he won. But it was through the tragedy that happened in between the two celebrations, right? It was the tragedy that happened in his death that actually won us the victory. And then he rose again, and now he is king in heaven, right? A week later, after the people 
welcomed him into Jerusalem, they're saying Hosanna. The word Hosanna actually means save now. So these people were wanting Jesus to become their king earthly at the moment right then and save them from Roman oppression. That's not why Jesus came. A week later, the same people crucified him. While Jesus was on earth in his public ministry, he fed 5,000 people on a hillside by doing a miracle of multiplying five loaves and two fish. And he fed over 5,000 people, probably over 10,000 people because there was just 5,000 men, right? And then it says this, that the people tried to make him king by force. Like they so much wanted an earthly king at that moment that they wanted to make Jesus king by force, but because he knew that that's not why he was here. He was here to die and, and accomplish our salvation, right? Because that's not why he was here in the power of God, he just up and walked through the crowd. Those same people cheered at his crucifixion, right? But he had, a, he had come to accomplish the work that his father had given him to do. When he did that, he ascended back into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of his father's throne in heaven. He is the king. That's who we serve today. But it goes so much deeper than that for us. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says this. This is, this is insane. This is crazy to me that God would do this. It just shows how much he loves us. It says this. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that... In him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is unbelievable. Get this. Jesus never, he never, ever sinned. Ever. Never, ever sinned. Although he was tempted in every way that we are tempted, he never gave into it. He never sinned. But us, we, every person on the face of the planet, is condemned by our sin. But this is what happened when Jesus hung on that cross. He literally Right? This isn't just an idea that we read about in the Bible. Jesus literally became, as part of his identity, became sin. He had never committed a single act of sin, and by essence of who he was hanging on the cross, he became the sheer definition of sin. He took every single one of my sins, Past, present, and future, every single one of your sins, past, present, and future upon himself. That's why when he hung on the cross, the biggest suffering that he had to endure was the fact that his Father in heaven turned his back on his own son. We see in movies the physical pain that Jesus had to go through on the cross. I remember sitting in the theater and watching The Passion of the Christ, right? And I had heard about the people who were in the theater right before us, like coming out of it just looking like, and some guy said, I just witnessed a sacrifice, like a human sacrifice. We see these things. We can picture these things. We can picture the fact that that was a horrible death, but what we can't picture, right, and what we don't always see is that even worse than that was the fact that perfect communion between Jesus and his Father in heaven was broken because my sin, because your sin, was laid on his back, right? It was taken away from us. And at that moment, separated from us as far as the east is from the west. Here's the deal. East, whatever way east is, uh, is from the west. If you keep going in those directions, you can't get any further away, right? And they're never going to touch each other. On earth they will, but it's not flat, just... Go with me, okay? Um, it's as far away from you as they can get. This is a big deal. This is identity. This is life changing, right? We who had sin, Jesus became sin. We who had actually committed sins became righteousness. Do you get that? Like we traded places with Jesus. That's how much God loved us. I love you people. But I am never, ever going to give one of my kids for you. Ever. I'm not going to sacrifice one of my kids for any of you. Right? But God sacrificed his only son for all of humanity. And all of humanity, including me and you, had wronged him. Like, this is heavy. This is, this is amazing stuff. 
John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. By identity, from the inside out, at our very core, we are changed. Right? We are changed. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission on earth, to actively seek out people who were far from God and see them saved, to seek and to save the lost, right? That was it. That was his mission. If you could boil it down, that was his mission, to seek and save the lost, right? And I know probably the majority of people in this room, you're like, Nick, we've heard this before. This is the gospel. This is like what we hear every week when we come to church. We've heard this. We know these things, but here's the deal. What we have to understand is as soon as we leave this building, hopefully, a majority of the people that we run, to, run into on a daily basis don't know this. I'm not saying hopefully they don't know this. I'm saying hopefully you run into a lot of people that are unsaved because you, uh, by now, are putting yourself in situations to be around people who are unsaved because we're on the same mission that Jesus is on, right? And then we introduce them to Jesus, but here's the deal. As I'm experiencing this in real life, it is, it, is, it is growing up in the church for me, it is becoming more and more baffling, but more and more of a reality that there are less and less people in my life that actually know anything about the Bible, that actually know anything about Jesus, right? That Jesus is anything other than a curse word for them, right? There's people who don't have any clue. First of all, that their sin condemns them, second of all, that they need a savior and that his name is Jesus. People don't know this. The other truth is that sitting here in front of you today, I find it so easy in my everyday life, like think about yesterday or the day before, think about this week that you just had. How many days this week did you go through without ever thinking the name of Jesus? It's easy to do. If you do not purpose to spend time in your Bible thinking and praying and meditating on God's word, it is so easy to get lost in life and never even think about Jesus. And we start to take, especially people who have been saved for a long time, it's easier, right? It's easier to get in the flow of life and go an entire day, an entire two days, an entire week, and then we get out of the habit of reminding ourselves of what the gospel actually is. Here's what happens if I fail to preach the gospel to myself. I forget what I have been turned into. I forget that I am no longer sinner. I am saint. Somebody asked me on the radio one time, Nick, are you a sinner? I said, no. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, right, I know you, right? But I said, no, I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint who sins. Because by identity, I am no longer looked at by God the Father as a sinner condemned to hell. I am a saint covered by the blood of Jesus who still sins, but when I sin, when I mess up, Jesus graciously picks me back up and I move forward, right? But if I do not remind myself of that on a daily basis, I am so much more susceptible to listening to and believing Satan's lies that I promise you he will hit you with every single day, right? So preach the gospel to yourself, especially at Christmas time. This should be like a big, huge reminder that God's plan is perfect and that it includes me and you, right? And that my life is so much more than just living day to day and trying to be a good Christian. It is that I have, at my very core, been changed. And I can live out of that change. I can live from that change, right? When we think about this truth at Christmas time, I've been thinking about the characters that, that God chose to use to see Jesus' birth happen, right? And, uh, and I've come to realize, and this, this is obvious, but sinners, people who sin, are God's only options. Because Jesus was the only person who ever lived without sinning. So, me and you, 
we're it, right? And that, that's, uh, you, you people are impressive, but we're it. Like, we are the hope, we are the salt and light in this world. We are it. We're God's only options, right? Because he chooses to use us. We talked about last week, God's power is seen through the unlikely. So I want to go a little deeper with that this week. Turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be in verse 8. So Luke chapter 2, the first three books of the, the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It'll be on the screen. Or there could be a Bible near, near you, in front of you, under the seat. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8. But I want you to be thinking about, okay, keep the gospel in your mind, right? Remember this. If I could tell you anything today is tonight before you go to bed, preach the gospel to yourself. When you wake up tomorrow morning, preach the gospel to yourself. When you go to bed tomorrow night, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to your spouse. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach it to yourself because you will forget. Do we get that? Do you understand that? I know this seems elementary, right? But we will forget. We've got to be reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8, all the way through verse 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, one another Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. That has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Today, specifically, I want to look at the shepherds and how God used them, and I just pray, and I've been praying all week that you would be able to find yourself in this story, because I can find myself in this story. We say God's power is seen through the unlikely. Right? Get this. James chapter 2, verse 5 says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who loved him. You look all throughout the Bible, characters like, you think of like famous Bible characters. Moses, he was keeping sheep when he received his call from God. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press for fear of his enemies, and God came to him and called him a mighty warrior, right? That doesn't make too much sense from a human standpoint. Elisha was plowing a field when he got his call to action from God. These guys were shepherds, right? There was a time in history before this point where shepherds were revered, right? But at this point in history, shepherds were the low of the low. They were poor. They were the outcast of society. They were not only looked down by the working class and above, but they were looked down by, get this, the religious leaders of the day, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of these people, the, these were lowest of the low in society. Cast out, you have no place in society. They were tending their sheep by night, right? And this, this is who they hung out with. Also, most of society assumed that if you did a background check on these guys, the majority of them had a rap sheet, right? I mean, these guys were criminals, no one had anything good to say about shepherds. But here's the deal. These are the guys that 
God chose to reveal his plan to. That's amazing. Like, that should be really comforting to most of us in the room. Because I think there's probably a couple kinds of people in the room, maybe a few. People who think too much of ourselves and people who think too little of ourselves, right? Some of us need to be humbled, and some of us need to know that no matter what we've done in the past, no matter what we are doing right now, even though we may need to change, right? Because God wants more for us than that. He wants an abundant life for us. And no matter what we will do, God wants to use unlikely people, right? It's not about how you see yourself or how the person sitting next to you sees you. It is about what God says about you, right? These are the guys that God chose to reveal his plan to. And what does that say for us? That that means there is hope for everyone. So you may be here this morning and you may need some hope. You may be looking at yourself and saying, man, my life is just messed up. Like, why would God ever use me? Or God can't use me. Or who am I? Or I don't know enough. Or I don't this. Or I don't that. Or I don't whatever. You know? God wants to use you. But you may also go out and look at and subconsciously start to think like, oh, those people are not worth reaching, right? I think we all do this. We all want to be evangelists. We all want to reach the world for Jesus, right? But somewhere in our subconscious, we still break people out into, into classes, right? We say to ourselves like, oh yeah, I'm going to reach out to those people because those people are easy for me to reach out to. But then when it gets to a certain kind of person, we, it just gets harder and harder and harder to, to reach out to those kinds of people. And so we start to give ourselves excuses not to, right? But the point here is that this is the gospel at work. Hope in Jesus is for everyone. Everyone, no matter who they are, no matter who you are, can find hope in Jesus. So first, God reveals his plan to these guys out in a field at night. And verse 9 says, they were filled with great fear. The first thing the angel said to them was, do not be afraid, right? So these guys probably were starting to think, like, we are the last people on earth that this would happen to. Who are we? Like, we're the outcasts of society, and God just showed us some angels, right? I mean, they're probably thinking, um, like, you guys know we're not priests, right? We're not Pharisees. We're not kings. We're, we're not government officials. We are none of these good things. Like, we're shepherds. You understand this, right? I mean, they're out there singing, nobody likes us, everybody hates us, I'm going to eat some worms. What movie is that from? Come on, people. This movie, anybody? Call the Wild. You got to go watch this movie. It's, good. it's a good movie, right? But I'm serious. Like, there's a film in that, there's a part of that movie where this dude is out in the wilderness and he's literally eating worms because he has no one with him. Like, he is totally 100% by himself, right? And he just is singing this song Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. This is kind of what I picture this guy doing. They're like, poor me. We are shepherds. Nobody likes us, right? They are the outcasts of society. But God wants to use whoever he chooses to receive glory for himself. I've said this before, but God is for God. That sounds arrogant, right? If a human says that, like, I am for me, that is arrogant because I don't deserve it. But it's not arrogant for God because he is God, right? God is the only being in all of existence that actually deserves glory for himself. And so when we glorify God, we are giving him exactly what he wants. But what he also wants is to use broken, unlikely people, right? When I say broken, I don't mean actively sinning on purpose. I mean broken Everyone needs to be broken when they come to Jesus with the willingness to change and be changed by Jesus. But God wants to use broken, unlikely people for his glory because when he does, when he uses broken people, guess what happens? It blows our minds. Like God just did the impossible and then God gets more glory, right? So God takes joy. He finds favor in using broken people to receive the most glory for himself. So these guys were terrified. They were afraid. So the angels come down. 
Then, then they reveal to, to them, the, the shepherds, what sign they should be looking for. Verse 12, it says this, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Why is this a sign? Because guess what? That's not normal. Okay? It's not normal. They're probably going to go to Bethlehem, and this is probably going to be the only baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, because that's not normal. The way that Jesus was born was humble. It was not normal. It was not the way that an earthly king ever would have been born. This was dirty. Nobody else knew about it, right? Nobody would have assumed in that moment this guy's king. This baby, there's something special about this baby. Only through the revelation of God was it true that Jesus was the king, right? Was it true that these guys went and saw this baby laying in a manger in filth that, my goodness, we, we need to bow before this king <laughs> with the animals, right? I mean... What was their response when the angel told them this? They could have been like, dudes, we need to lay off the stuff, right? Like, did we just see that? That's nuts. No, verse 15 says this. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Like, their first reaction was like, okay, let's go. This is amazing. It says, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So what did they do? First they believed, and then they acted. They believed, and then they acted. So a question for us this morning is, what is God leading you to? What is God asking you to believe him for and then act upon? Right? And don't cut it short. Don't cut it short, because God really wants to use you for something. Right? And some of you are probably frustrated because you can't figure out what that thing is. I've been there before. God wants to use you for something. Right? But we... We say, okay, I believe God wants to use me for something. But then we don't do anything about it. The question is, what is God calling you to believe and then act upon? Just start moving in a certain direction in faith. Because when these shepherds, they left, they said, let's go see this thing that the, angel, that, the, that the Lord has revealed to us. When they left, I'm sure there was some doubt. They hadn't seen it yet. It had been revealed to them, but they had not seen it. But they had to go. They just knew that they had to act. They knew they, they had to go. They had to see this thing that the Lord had revealed to them. And that's, that's how it is when God reveals something to us. A lot of times, he's just going to say, go. I mean, he told Abram, I was reading about this this week, he told Abram to leave his home. Just go. Where am I going? I, just go. You don't know. I'm not telling you. Just go. Right? So Abram left. And step by step, he did what God revealed to him. He had no idea where he was going to end up. Eventually, God revealed the plan to him. But every step of the way, he stepped out. I have no idea where I'm going. But God said, go that way. So I'm going to go. See, God loves to see the faith that pushes us out into the unknown. I really believe that. God loves to see faith that pushes us out into the unknown. These guys were shepherds, but they believed, and then they acted. I want to read verse 16 to 20 for you. Go to verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See, this is, this is amazing. Because the shepherds did not just believe and go and see what had happened. Yes, they were blessed by that. But God used these shepherds, these outcasts, these lowly poor men, to reveal to the very mother of Jesus that what she had heard from the angel was true. Because get this, right? I'm sure that there's still a lot of fear in Mary. We talked about this last week. Mary was willing to do what God asked her to do, right? But every step of the way, Mary's got to be thinking, like, my goodness, 
Like, yes, I know I just got pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? But what is going on? For, the, for Jesus' childhood, she spent running for his very life, right? So there's this fear in Mary. And yet shepherds come and reveal to her that, hey, what you heard and what this baby is all about, it's real. It's true. I mean, this is what we saw. I mean, we were just doing our job. We were out in our fields tending our sheep and hundreds and thousands of angels showed up to us singing to this king that we were told to go see, right? It's like, my goodness, how much confidence would that have given Mary to hear that? Here's what I want you to hear. It wasn't just that God wanted these shepherds to experience something awesome from him. He wanted to use them to help somebody else experience something awesome. Right? The lowly of the low, God used more than they could ever imagine. So even in this birth story, I mean, this is what the gospel is all about. From the beginning, God shows us <laughs> that he wants to reach everybody. He wants to reach everybody. But the Bible even says that God the Father desires that all men will be saved. We know that not all men will be saved. We know that not all people will be saved. But here's the deal. That's what God wants. It's what we should want. It's what we should desire. And it also says that the thief... The Bible says that the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come to give life, that they may have life, and that they have it more abundantly, right? This is part of living the abundant life, is listening to, believing, and acting upon what God has us to do in this world. So if it is important for God to reach every person everywhere, every man, woman, and child that we could ever run into, can find hope in the name of Jesus, then shouldn't this be important to us? That's what Christmas needs to be all about, right? We celebrate, we're going to celebrate on Christmas Eve, we're going to come here and we're going to celebrate together the birth of Jesus, right? And we're going to talk more about Jesus being the king and what that means for us. But as we think about Christmas, do not let Christmas just be like we're going to open presents as a family, we're going to do our family traditions, and then we're also going to make sure we read the Christmas story, right? Because that's not just what Christmas is about. Christmas is the gospel from the very beginning of Jesus' life all the way to the very end of Jesus' life. And the gospel is that God wants to reveal himself to everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, your position, your current view of yourself, what you know, or what others say that you are. God wants to reveal himself to every person on this planet, and he wants to use you to be a part of making that happen. Right? The truth is that he already did. Like, God has revealed himself to the, in the best possible way that he could. What did Jesus say while he was on earth? He said, if you love me, you love the Father. If you know me, you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Like, you want a revelation of who God is? Learn who Jesus is. You want a revelation of who your king is? Learn who Jesus is. He's already revealed himself to us in his word, but guess what? He also gave us the Holy Spirit, and he wants the Holy Spirit to continue to make this book come alive to us in ways that makes us, that causes us to believe and that causes us to act. So this Christmas season, I want us to ask the, the question, what is God calling me to this year? Like, what is God, in light of the fact that my identity has been changed through Jesus Christ, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to occupy my street? 
And that doesn't mean that your street is going to be the same as this person's street. It doesn't mean you're going to look at what this person's doing and say, oh, that's cool, I want to do that. Or look at what this person's doing and say, that's cool, I want to do that. No, I want you to seriously spend some time wrestling with God, asking him, God, what have you made me for? If you used shepherds to, to confirm for Mary the message that you gave her about the king of the universe, her son Jesus, then you want to use me for something because I'm not all that. I doubt myself all the time, right? I sit in my shame because of my sin and I fail to preach the gospel to myself every day. I'm believing way too many of Satan's lies. Well, knock it off, right? We have everything that we need to live lives of godliness. First Peter says that. He has given us everything we need to live lives in godliness. If that is true, if we really believe that, then we need to learn what it means to be identified in Jesus Christ and stop believing what Satan is telling us. All Satan wants to do is distract you. That's all he needs to do. If he distracts you from doing what God has called you to do, right, then he's won. Because part of what God has called you to do is live in this world and spread the gospel. If, if, if Satan can distract us from that, right, then he thinks he's won. But what does the Bible say about the church? The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So a lot of you are sitting here right now thinking, man, like I'm, I'm not the preacher. I'm not the church worker. Like, I don't feel like God has called me to do anything special. Where do you work? Where do you live? Who do you run into on a daily basis? Guess what? God has placed those people in your life right now where you are on purpose. And he wants to do extraordinary things through you, right? If you want to get past believing what Satan says about you and start believing what God says about you. Because what God says about you is you are extraordinary. If you've come to Jesus, you are extraordinarily equipped to do anything that God wants you to do. And so the band's going to come back up now and we are going to spend some time thinking about and thanking God for what he has done for us in salvation. So we have the bread, which represents Jesus' body broken for us, and we have the cup, which represents Jesus' blood poured out for us. Again, as you think about yourself this morning and your relationship to God, you got to think about this, that the fact when Jesus' blood was shed for you, it was shed in your place, that at that moment, he became sin and you became righteousness. Your very identity, when you come to Jesus for salvation, changes. From the inside out, you are a brand new person. And no matter what you think about yourself this morning, what God says about you is true that you are clean, that you are redeemed, that you are bought back from the pit of hell, from destruction, in order to live out an abundant life here on earth, bound for heaven someday. If this does not dramatically change the way you live your everyday life, then you don't understand it. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus changes everything. For everyone. And so in these next few moments as we continue to worship, I want you to seriously take a self-check. How often are you preaching the gospel to yourself? How often are you reminding yourself of these truths? And how are you letting it, not just believing it, but how are you letting it push you from day to day to day to live out the mission that he has you on? Are you getting this? God wants to use you and blow your mind. And I've been praying this lately. God, you said that you would do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. And I can imagine quite a bit. But guess what? God wants to do more than I can even think about him doing in my head. Right? Let's pray. 
God, we love you and we desperately need you. And I thank you that when Jesus was born, you knew. You knew that he was being born in order to live a sinful life, in order to die someday, become sin for us, and make us righteousness. Make us right with God again. Father, I, 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 I pray, I beg you, that your Holy Spirit would pursue right now anybody in this room who has not committed their life to Jesus, who has not admitted their sins to Jesus, asking God to save them through what Jesus did on the cross for them. If there's anybody here this morning, right now in these moments, that the Holy Spirit would just make them uncomfortable to the point where they know that their only choice for hope in this life is Jesus. They don't have to know anything else other than they need Jesus for salvation and Jesus is available right now and will save them. I pray that they would just make that choice right now, God, in these moments. And I pray for everyone else in the room that we would preach the gospel to ourselves and that we remember Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to death on the cross. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. last song together, I want to just remind you of a couple things right after this. All of you, the entire church, is invited to uh, our open Christmas open house that we have every year. It's at our house. 
It's from 12.30 to 3.30, and we'd love for you just to come and eat and fellowship and hang out together. Um, and then the other thing is Christmas Eve. We will have our Christmas Eve service at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. That's December 24th, okay? Um, and uh, we're going to celebrate together that Jesus is our King. So come to that, and we will not have church on, on Christmas Sunday morning. Um, but here's the deal. This next week, I want everybody to be challenged to open their day and to close their day by preaching the gospel to yourself. I mean, literally, write it down if you need to. Right? And so we're going to pray that right now together. And then we're going to sing our last song. And, and this last song says, Glory to God forever. Like, that is the desire. That's the, that should be the deepest desire of our heart because of what Jesus has done for us, is that God receives all the glory, is that his kingdom grows, and that people see the name of Jesus as great. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would remind us in your spirit to preach the gospel to ourselves, God, that without Jesus and his death on the cross for us, we are lost and we are on our way to hell. But God... Um, his salvation is so much more than the fact that we are bound for heaven, but he wants us to live an abundant life here on earth. God, help us to remind ourselves through scripture, through what you tell us is true about who you say we are, completely free, completely forgiven, and enabled to live by your spirit, to grow your kingdom, God, to be a part of it, and, and, and that you are our king. So God, as we sing this last song, I pray that you would just be glorified, that you would be glorified in our hearts, God, that you would be glorified in our actions. Father, when we're in this place and when we leave this place, that we would be the salt and light in this world, Father. We love you and we desperately need you. In Jesus' name, thank you for Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let's sing this out together.